0: Lights, camera, See, fix, fix it in post. Oh,
1: yeah, we'll fix it in post, okay. I don't know, we got to fix it, we'll fix it in we'll post. It and post. We got people. We, we go people, we got people, we
0: And then we Send roll the magic post cast, it's,
1: it's, it's all about post, and fix it in post. Louise fix it in post. Talk about the music. Some of our guest dog musicians, they can sing too, right? Yeah. Do it. Do it. All right. Fix it in post. All right.
2: (laughs) I'd like to petition to rename this episode Fix It in Pre.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone. Welcome to another great episode of the Cinemagic Podcast. We're at our 25th countum two five episode. Uh, we're not old enough to rent a car
0: without milestone, the man. Twenty fifth episode. That would would that be silver in like marriage terms?
1: I honestly do not know. I don't like know. I, think, I I don't think any of us and our guests for today have been married that long to uh, know honestly that. And I feel really bad about. I that. never made it to twenty five. <laughs> Neither have I. <laughs> I never made it to twenty five. As always, what you're hearing is me, Jonathan Gondoa, our greatest host uh, for our Cinemagic Podcast That's right. with our
0: co-host, the best ever at not being a great co-host, Rick Acevedo. Wait a minute. I want to feel excited about that intro, but somehow I feel that like the wording was sort of incorrect there, but uh, it's okay. I appreciate it. I think I he nailed love it. love you anyway. <laughs> hey, be quiet, postman. Be
1: quiet, <laughs> And our voices that you hear, we have some guests on the podcast, also part of Triskeleton Productions, but I'm going to give it up first uh, to the longest member around, (laughs) ha ha ha, switch it up, (laughs) Mike Shear, Mike, introduce yourself to all the listeners out there. He just called you the
0: longest member.
3: I I don't know how to react to that at all, I'm just going to say hi. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be the... Total of the introduction.
0: By the way, <laughs> by the way, uh, just to let you all know, Mike Shear is the most emotional human being alive. So what you're hearing there is raw. It is unadulterated. It is unfiltered. It is sheer to the max.
1: And now, other
0: guests, <laughs> cranked, cranked up to one.
1: Our other guest, who also a member of Traskalian Productions, who is not sheer to the max, but money anyway, is our good friend John Green. Welcome to the show.
2: Hey. Nice to be here. You can also call me Juan Verde. I go, I, I will answer to that.
0: Can Can you uh, also I'll, answer I'll to Miss Fluffy Butt?
2: No, but I do have a very fuzzy butt, according to
1: my girlfriend. So. Oh my and god! And his girl, and not his girlfriend, named him Miss Fluffy Butt. So yes. You know, so yeah. Miss Fluffy Butt is is John Green, J Money, or Juan Verde's uh, Juan uh, Verde. good name. J Money's nice. kid. And,
0: and just just to let you all <laughs> okay. know, Mike is also Sheer the Deer Corner. He'll corner a deer, he'll rated, he'll make it feel bad about itself, and just basically he'll make that deer just lay down on a plate for him. He is that much of a badass, people.
1: Um, I would just like to say for this podcast that anything that Rick says does not get felt by the whole group. It is just him. We love animals over here and is a magic Podcast. Just want that noted. Animals <laughs> are tasty.
0: Sheer more than anyone.
1: <laughs> well, Rick, do you want to tell them why we have Mike and John here today with us?
0: Well, the reason why we have Mike and John here with us is because these are two world-class post-production specialists. One um, obviously specializes in video. That's Juan uh, Verde J. Money and uh, the other in sound, can also do video um, quite well, but you know Mike is, is someone whose background is primarily in sound and has done an incredible amount of work uh, throughout the years in music, as well as sound engineering for major projects and everything like that, and you know, as a result, we're very fortunate to, to be, as a result of their expertise and us knowing um, them for as many years as we have, that's where we're fortunate to, you know, to be able to talk to them because they're our guys. You know?
1: Yep. Uh, they are the magic from uh, uh, what we put on camera to what happens behind it for the music, mm-hmm. cinematography. They are the magic for Triscaling Productions over here. That's Cinemagic. They're the magic part, right? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> those production. And we've had people on here talk about distribution, uh, talk about directing a little bit and shooting, but we haven't really had anyone to really talk about what happens when you're done right you, you're done shooting your movie now you got to put it all together uh and and this is why we brought them on because these are great for this all your independent filmmakers out there you know take back take a listen because we're gonna ask some questions get to learn the process right. and, and get to see kind of how post happens uh from just great post-production people themselves so we're very happy to have you here thank you so much and rick promises not to kick you off the next project since you've been on here so thanks I really do appreciate it.
0: <laughs> See, all the bad stuff always somehow gets on me. That's just terrible. <laughs> terrible. That's the way it goes, Rick. I know. I know. I get mistreated so badly. So, so go ahead, John.
1: Oh, sorry. I was going to just say, if, uh, Mike or John, if you want to talk a little about your backgrounds, what kind of got you in into film or music making and post-production a little bit, uh, what we'll kind of brought you to it in your love cinema, film, and post-production.
2: Age Before Beauty, Mike, you want to go first? <laughs> Ow.
3: God. I was going to say, for the coin. Oh, damn. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, I started off in music. Like, like Rick said, um started playing when I was five, started teaching when I was 13. That eventually led to the realization that, hey, being a rock star for a living is a bad idea, especially <laughs> if you don't like to travel very much. Because living in a van? when you're making maybe $20 a night, not a great life as much as people seem to believe it is when they read books and watch films about it. So I got into engineering. That led to running studios, which led to also doing live stuff. Live stuff went from doing live music to live theater. Live theater uh, went to meeting actors. That went to meeting actors who were becoming directors, that led to actors who were directors who needed people to do sound in post-production, and that's the long trip around of how you do a bunch of different pieces of art and somehow trip upon project after project.
1: Well, that's a really cool, varied background, Uh, and I know you're mostly in film now, but how, what was your favorite from doing all of that
3: oh you don't have favorites you just kind of go you you kind of collect stories and you know i i think all of us can anyone that's made film can sit there and go you know after the film's done you're never really happy with it you, you you just see the mistakes when you're watching it back and it takes a good 5 to 10 years until that kind of goes away and just it's the the piece of art speaks to who you are as an artist at the time, but now that it's been five or 10 years, you can also say how much better you can do than you did on that past project. I'm just never happy with my past work. So, you know, it becomes the stories of like, hey, we had, a you know, crew parties and, uh, you know, the great meals, the great storytelling, the ridiculous things that happen during projects. Are much more fonder than the actual pieces of art themselves. I think
1: you share good company with Orson Welles himself, who apparently he said it himself. He never watched Citizen Kane after like the premiere times. Like I never watched it again after I was done with it. Never watched it because uh, he just he thought it was terrible. He's like, I don't get it. I think it's terrible because you'd only see the mistakes in it. So I think Mike, you're 100 percent right in that. So that's how I feel about <laughs> Citizen Kane as well. <laughs> 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 That's perfect.
0: Oh
1: <laughs> Let's speak a little about your background and how you got in.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. So um, I started uh, around 10 years old, uh, borrowed, a, borrowed a camera from my grandpa, uh, like a little, little mini VHS camera. And me and my friends went and made a movie. And I was like, this is cool. This is all I want to do is make movies. And actually, the first film I ever edited, I took, was the one I shot with my buddies. Because we didn't know anything about shooting back then. You just kind of, you just pick up a camera and you start rolling. So we just let it roll for like two hours. And we're like, this is how you make movies, right? <laughs> um, and so we're just running around like shooting and then all the BTS in the middle. And I watched it back. I'm like, this isn't, this isn't right. But I had learned how to uh, record TV shows with a VCR. So I was like, I bet you if I took two VCRs, I could figure this thing out. So I plugged two VCRs together with a blank tape. And whenever the shot, Appeared that I wanted. I hit record, and then as it was about to end, I hit stop, and that's how I edited my first film. I just played back my two hours of raw footage and just hit record stop, record stop, because we shot it linearly. The joys uh, <laughs> of deck to deck
0: recording. I, I yeah. can I can relate. And I to was that. I was
2: ten years old, and I just like figured that out on my own. No one had told me how to do it. I was just like, well, this is how I'm going to do it, um, and that just led to me and my friends making more and more films. Um, and then I went to school film school in kansas city which was not bad and then uh, worked various um, corporate jobs doing video production for universities and a couple different companies in-house and then eventually it was like i really want to like pursue actually making movies and went to grad school in florida got another film degree that's where i met rick and then i moved out to la and edited for a couple more corporate companies out here and
1: here i am all right. Yeah. and Thank you, John. Thank you, Mike. That's all very interesting, great stories of getting there. Uh, I remember shooting with my friends too, just uh, random stuff. Uh, but I was also part of the AV club. So we had a little better editing
2: equipment.
1: Oh, nice. See, so my, I
2: went to a private school. Actually, I was homeschooled until middle school. And then I went oh. to a private
1: school that had
2: oh. no AV club. It was oh. just like they had nothing. So I had to do everything on my own.
0: I, I went to it. I was in AV club too and like during middle school and they had, I mean, they did tape to tape, but it was like the more expensive VHSs yeah. along with the switcher and the character generator, which automatically because you saw two little monitors made you think that it was like professional until you realize years later, um, not really. It's just a little cooler than, than what you have at home, you know? Yeah.
1: So what, And I think this is an interesting question to start with. So I'm just going to ask it, uh, especially for Mike over here. I'm going to start with Mike and then it'll come to you, John. Yeah. What is the most interesting part for you about post-production?
3: Being done. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Jesus.
2: (laughs)
3: Oh man. Um, yeah. You know, it's, honestly it's one of those labors of love that when you get it i and i don't know how many people are like this but i assume a lot of artists are is you spend a lot of time going this is wrong okay what were they thinking when they did that oh what what why did this happen um why is there a microphone on the shot oh man oh. wow no microphone no in the shot when there is no audio from that mic <laughs> um, um, you know you, I spend a lot of time cursing under my breath and which is why I don't show up on set very much because then I can't bitch about what happened on set <laughs> um, but you know it, as much as I complain about it the, the problem solving and the patience to actually go hey you know what at the end of this this is well timed i see the art form in it and you know you'd like you know chiseling the you know chiseling the rock away in order to see the statue you know that's the fun of post for me is that you really do kind of just here, here here's the block and all right start chiseling well that's a really cool way to describe that's, it that's
1: a
2: real strong yeah i was gonna say it's- I, I like, see, Mike, you're, you're doing the audio You more more of it than, than video. You get it when it is a block. And I think what I like about editing is that I get it as a puzzle piece before I can give it to someone else. And I think my favorite thing about it is you can, any story can be told 20 different ways. You know, every actor's performance in each take is slightly different that you can construct um, a, a very different story depending on which takes you use, and figuring out that puzzle, like which one, which one draws the emotion out that you want people to feel. That's the most interesting thing. I also am, and am unlike Mike in that I love being on set. Yeah, I say I think um, to be a really good editor and also to be a really good DP, I think you have to understand both. Like I got better as a cinematographer when I edited other people's work. And edited my own work when I realized, oh, I didn't shoot this right. Like the camera angle is off. Like I learned how to properly shoot reverse angle shots and properly shoot coverage for a scene by editing my own shitty films. <laughs> um, so I think that that's very important for for people who want to be DPs is, is to also learn to edit their own stuff so that they know how it plays um, in post.
0: On the on the flip side of that. Obviously, there's always the frustrating parts. So what's your least favorite part of the process? Both
1: of you. And before someone answers that, I realized, and my producer's telling me this. Brendan, thank you so much. Uh, I should have one of you describe what post-production is, just in case if someone doesn't know it out there. And then let's answer that.
0: Yeah, that's true. They do hear that. Well, one. I do teach a class
2: on post-production, so I guess that I... <laughs> explain it uh it's probably easier to explain it by explaining what all the different stages of production actually are um so you know pre-production is where you're in the process of taking an idea that you already have for a film and getting everything in place in order to make the film productions where you are on set you've already got everything kind of organized and now you're shooting the film you've got your actors there you got your entire crew there and once everything is shot, post-production is the process of taking that footage and taking that audio and putting it together in a coherent story to tell the story that you want. So it, it entails editing, audio design, visual effects, color correction, all of that stuff.
0: You just gave us the pipeline, man. I really appreciate that. The pipeline is fully important. That's literally the,
2: the class I teach is, <laughs> it's... is is the pipeline class. It's the the five <laughs> stages of filmmaking.
0: But see, the five stages of filmmaking, I disagree with you, they are uh, loathing, hatred, <laughs> very little happiness, followed by more loathing, and then a ton of more followed hatred for everything, followed by mo- the sixth one, which is a shadow piece, which is also like a ton of hatred for everything and everyone.
2: They, they say the fifth, uh, the, last, the last part of the pipeline is marketing and distribution, where you know, you're selling your film, but really the, the fifth element of filmmaking is hounding clients for your paycheck. it's like hey remember all that work i did for you can i maybe get money for that now (laughs) i'm guessing that's your least favorite (laughs) okay so yeah my least favorite part of film if, if you're talking the corporate world and not just like um theatrical films or television if it's corporate ad filmmaking My my least favorite part is dealing with clients Um, because the thing is, is that everyone is different. So every job, no job is the same, which is interesting because there's always something new, but you're always juggling just completely different personalities every time. Like you don't, you don't really just settle into a groove with any project. It's always different.
0: Do you find, do you find that, that clients sometimes, you know, especially when it's smaller jobs, because obviously you, you know, you base everything on scale. Do you find that clients are just kind of annoying in a, in a way and when they try to haggle as far as pricing is concerned? I really, I'm sending this out to both of you because you both know full well that some people straight up suck. and I'm, And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in like the most positive, <laughs> constructive yeah. way possible. But could you tell us a little bit about that?
2: My experience has been that um, clients who clients who have a lot of money are the easiest to work with. Like the bigger projects, typically are easier and smoother, and the clients' expectations. Like they're not hiring you; they're hiring you knowing that they're going to get what they expect. But they're also kind of like, oh, like be creative. Clients who I've had who are. At the lower end where it's like I can't afford like I'm the crew I'm the only person like they can only afford me and nobody else um, expect you are expecting you to deliver that $200,000 commercial for a thousand bucks you know and so the, the revisions they're just pickier uh, and so it, it got to a point for me where I just decided to tell people hey this is my rate and I also need this much money for a crew if you can't pay that I'm just not going to do it because it's it's not worth the headache for
3: yeah, I, I think it, even beyond the money, it has to do with the experience of the clients. You know, if the client has done several productions before, then they know exactly what's expected of them. If they're new to it and they're just kind of trying to feel like, hey, I'm running this show, but I have no idea where the steering wheel is on this thing. Um, that's where the real disconnects happen and where you start having to write in your quotes where you're not just going, hey, this is what the cost is going to be, but this is what the cost is to deliver the first round. We can do two revisions afterwards within the first six weeks, but let's, let's not play the uh, notes game where you're calling me at 2 a.m. to deliver two notes every other night for the next three months and expecting that original quote to be, you know, worth my time and trying to align them with that expectation ahead of time. And that really is troublesome because you don't know to do that until you've been doing it for, you know, years. It's like, it takes you forever to kind of write in those contingencies in your quotes, right?
2: Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with that. I've two rounds, generally two rounds of revisions is what I had to start giving clients because if you, if you don't set, um, if you don't set a number on it, they're going to just keep going and going and going. And I think that's part of the reason why I got tired of working in the corporate world, like being in house at a company. It's there, there was no limit on how many revisions you could do. Like I worked at a company, um, not there anymore, but for, uh, I was there for a year and the CEO would just constantly be like hey let's make a like we'd be on revision 30 or 40 of a project and like the the amount of change is so little but it's because rather than sitting down and taking the time to analyze everything you'd be like hey change this and then two days later change this until you know two months later you've now gone through 30 revisions on a project um which i yeah
3: yeah and i mean i got this phrase from someone else but and i'm just as guilty as the next person of this when i'm working on projects that you know our passion projects is frame fucking where you're not Mm -hmm. really changing anything you're just playing with the timing You're just going like you know like oh wait 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 can we get that like three frames earlier and i mean and i get it like i do that constantly when i'm working in edit but when you've got a client that's doing that to you you're like um let's talk about this hourly rate Let's not do a for this because, you know, you start to lose the forest for the trees after too much of it.
2: Yeah. I think what you said earlier about um, kind of abandoning projects, one of my favorite quotes is from George Lucas, and he says, "You never, uh, you never finish a project, you only abandon it. And that's something that I've kind of just taken to heart where I get to a certain point where I realize this project is good enough. Like, would those three frames make a difference? Probably not because most people can't see a three frame difference, but... If if it comes to a point where I know that a project's good enough, like I'm willing to just abandon it and let it be out in the world, then spend week, extra weeks on end trying to, to frame fuck it. It's one of my favorite phrases is <laughs> frame fuck it. Uh,
0: that, sounds, that sounds like a very suggestive phrase.
2: I think another thing I've learned too, just a quick note about clients is that when we were talking about kind of hounding them for money earlier, I said that jokingly, but one thing I did work into my contracts later on is just telling them I don't give you a final unwatermarked video until I'm one hundred percent paid. And that that has kept me from having to go searching for money for clients.
3: Which do you, is do you put Bruce, stipulation on uh, finish time as far as 90 um, day, 30 day?
2: It's usually just revision based. So like we get we get to the end of the second revision and I say, okay, this is now done, if you want more changes, like I've made all of your changes up to this point, this should be satisfactory to you. If you want another round of changes, we can do one more, but that's going to be an additional cost. And generally, I don't have clients that, that go through the hassle of going through another round
3: that makes
1: sense and i i I really like the advice that you're giving out uh especially since we have some burgeoning filmmakers who listen to the podcast so it's always great advice to know uh especially how to deal with clients how to invoice because i think a lot um and i know both of you went to school but if you're starting out independently you don't know stuff like that right Uh, as mike you alluded to it takes years of just doing it before you learn like need to properly do this for revision or like john said the watermark that's a great idea of watermarking until you finally get paid because constantly in the arts you hear this in all the arts photography and everything else that that's always the hardest part getting paid after you completed a job so i I thank you for giving out that great information there as well and the great advice so you can always keep it coming because i know people will enjoy it and if you do again go on our instagram let ali our dead mother know hey i really like what john and mike said and she'll tell these guys (laughs)
0: <laughs> and i love deer um uh, mike i wanted to ask you a quick question um you've been on, on the music side and obviously you've been on the film side as well you know what do you find easier to deal with is it the music side for you or is it the film side as far, and, and so far as engineering creating things i know that
3: that's a you know so the the deal is that the team in music is far smaller Mm. Mm. Um, and that inherently makes it somewhat easier because you know as you add more people to any project it's just more pieces to juggle and more you know we all have our opinions and it's fair but the more opinions the the harder it is to just make everyone happy so you know, when you've got music, where you've got you know an engineer, a producer, who's often the same person nowadays. You know, the producer is the person who is supposed to be keeping an eye out for the actual music or an ear out for the actual music, where the engineer is really there to run the technical side of things, and that's be that's been bleeding together and becoming one job more and more. Uh, and the musician or musician. Yeah, you know, it used to be bands, and less and, and nowadays there's less and less bands. If we even look at start to look at the you know top one hundred, I think there's only two or three bands in the top one hundred nowadays. Um, so we're down to just the three or four people in the studio, and it's just like okay, well, that's not a whole lot of opinions to work with. Let's just make a concise thing and keep it tight and budgeted, and you know it's just a matter of training those few individuals to be on task because the other thing that's wrong with music is the fact that we've depicted it all as a party you know every music video ever made looks like you get into the recording studio and there's a posse there and you know we're having a good time it's like do you have any idea how much that equipment costs and how much time it is to be in there Um, then with you know film it's just kind of going well how many people are on this project? How many people are on set? How many people are in post? You know, there's so many moving parts that it's like, okay, I just need to settle down and figure out what my role is on this project. So is one easier than the other? No. It's just you are a different piece of the chessboard. You're a different piece of, of the chess game on the chessboard with whether you're working in music or whether you're working in film. That's great.
0: Yeah. So what you're telling me is that what I had in my head, that I had been shown by Eddie Murphy's video, she wants to party all the time, is not true.
3: There, there's uh, there's no party in the studio. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's that whole like the, the the we used to joke about it. It's like the, you can always see the younger guys in the studio because they're there before the call time. <laughs> and, and they're there with five friends and a couple of bottles of something and that and those they'll be in there until those bottles are empty but you know the guys the real the real pros i should stop saying guys but because men and women but the real pros you know they show up they they know it's like well they're gonna take 10-15 minutes to uh get everything set up for me there so i can take 10-15 minutes to meander in get my cup of tea i don't need anyone to make it for me I'm not that much of a diva and meander in go okay what do i need to do do it get out i mean i've had pros that made hits in 45 minutes of work so you know it's literally like hey we've got this producer flying in from nashville uh he's he's 10 minutes late we're gonna get you know he's in an uber right now he's almost here all right let's get set up okay sing the first verse sing the chorus sing the first verse again all right sing the second verse sing the second verse again sing the chorus all right cool we got what we need have a good day i'm gonna fly back to nashville within 90 minutes <laughs> wow. and you know had a million records off of that experience um for vocalist so yeah the pros can do it wick and we'll get it done and you know doesn't say anything about you know yeah you're you you are free to take your time in the studio and also be creative because ain't no creative creativity happening in 90 minutes there's no experimenting happening (laughs) at time so um, you know know, there's also people that go in and plan to stay three solid months and will work non-stop but
1: Is that why, um, and this is for either one of you, but Stillman Spie- Stillman Spie- Ugh, Steve- Steven Spielberg, I-, I swear I can speak today, uh, I know usually carries the same DP or cinematographer, and a lot of good directors and filmmakers do. They kind of have their core team that they use, uh, and is that because, you know, as you said, there's so many voices, but it's easier with a smaller team or people you know to really see your vision? like the cinematographer seems to like knows kind of how he likes to shoot his things. So when he's in post, it's easier for him to do that vision. Or do you feel like, eh, it's easy. You know, you could, you could just pick up someone's vision as long as you can talk and work with them.
2: I think part of it is just the familiarity of working with someone over and over again. Um, you know, I know a guy, I have a friend who's uh, an assistant camera and you know, he, his, desires to be a director of photography and he knows like all the major dps he's we worked at a company and got to meet all of them and you know they're they all have their teams you know it's like the and and so he he's on a team now that he consistently works with it's like you have your dp you have your first ac and you have your second ac and anytime one of them gets a job you know if the dp gets a job he's like hey uh, i got a gig you guys want to join me and that that's kind of how it goes like you you build a relationship with people that are they're great to work with, but you also know that they're gonna get the job done. And you know, the more you work with people, it's like you just you have to communicate less verbally because just there's always an understanding of what needs to happen and people get their stuff done. And it's always easier, I think, to work with people you've worked with in the past than it is to keep jumping around with different people.
1: That's awesome. So if someone wants to break into the industry, how hard is that? So as everybody's working with the same people, how hard is that to become part of those teams? It's very hard. it's it's very
2: very hard like uh like i know people who myself included that it's like you you meet these people and it's like oh great you do cool stuff but they're not gonna just no one's gonna hire you just because they think your stuff is cool when they already have a working relationship with somebody else um really i think the best way to break break into the industry today is you find a group of like-minded people and you guys all go do something cool together you know and then you build your team. It's like it's kind of like what we're doing here, you know. Um, it's kind of what this, how this team formed. We all have been working together, and a new project comes up, and we kind of all keep working together. Uh, I, th- I think the best way in is to to break your way in as a crew, not on your own. Like if you tried to do it on your own, it's gonna be really hard. But if you find a group of like minded people that you're making cool stuff with, like break your way in as a
1: team. Does that work the same way, Mike, for sound?
3: um yeah i mean sound for film you know you can always join a post house but um post houses are um you know they're getting 50 to 100 resumes a week easy so you know in order to stick out you you need you need to start just doing your own stuff you need to have a demo available um and i can tell you even from having experience people see a resume and they throw it out Yeah, you know, they're not going to read it um even better is when you give them a credits list and they go yeah that's nice i, I don't know any of this um <laughs> so really the end all be all is just personality match is more and more this is all about networking and it's always and and the business has always been about who you know, right? We've been hearing that for decades. And if we think about it, it's like, well, we're sitting here talking about, well, you know, you form these groups teams as well. We know each other. We understand each other. We like each other. We enjoy each other. Therefore we work together. well, Right. So that again, it's who, you know, if you are in a, if you know, I feel for these people who are in smaller towns who want to get into the arts because there's no art scene there for them to jump into so what they need to do is they need to jump online and find their community online and once you have a community that's when you can start being part of a team
2: yeah. i'm so glad you said that because that's actually what i teach in my course um is is networking and finding um, building local community because a lot of my students end up, you know, they're, they're in smaller towns or they're in smaller cities and there's always some community there for the most part, you know, even if it's a theater group or some kind of local performing arts group, like those are people you can collaborate with. I think, I, I, usually, I, I had a director once give me advice that kind of took it a little step beyond who do you know? It's, it's, yeah, it's who you know, but it's also who knows you. Who's going to think of you when that job pops up? And, and that's really what's important is staying on people's radar so yeah, I do a lot of networking stuff um, but it's networking is more than just going to one event and meeting someone it's it's staying on their radar so it's it's doing follow up calls with them follow up text messages you know people I don't talk to for a couple months I'm like hey I haven't talked to this director in a couple months let me shoot him a message and see how he's doing and keeping that conversation going
3: yeah grab the cup of coffee with them social media is the easiest thing ever you know of course it's easy to overdo on social media so mm-hmm. be you know no. wary of that as well but yeah and just build those relationships and it's easier
2: know. than you think you know i think people people get scared and i am 100% guilty of this like i'm really scared of like putting myself out there in the world and and reaching out to people but i think a perfect example is last night i some one of the lighting companies i follow reposted some some guy did a really cool like sci-fi commercial I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I looked at him and he's from Kansas City where I grew up. And so I just was like, I'm just going to message him and tell him this shit's cool. And he responded right away and we chatted all night. And then I was like, well, you know, if you ever want to, like if I'm in town ever, uh, which I will be and I go back a couple times a year, it's just like, oh, we'll get a drink when I'm in town. Like, that's the kind of thing that like, it feels weird reaching out and selling someone or reaching out to someone, but just telling them like people love hearing that you like their work. Like if you tell someone, hey, your shit's really cool. they will be like, oh, thank you. It puffs them up a little bit, you know? So I I always tell my students, like, first thing you should do is just compliment someone. Tell them you like their stuff and tell them them why you like it and start the conversation that way.
3: That, and, you know, the other thing that, you know, if you're in a small town and what I I hear a lot of people miss is the fact that if you're in an art, you can talk to artists. Mm -hmm. You know, like, from transitioning from music to theater to film, That happened really organically, because I was meeting people going, you know, I have no idea about this art form. And if you start talking to people that are into that art, they will talk your ear off endlessly about it, because they're passionate about it. And that's how you learn, and that's how you meet people. And you can be open-minded in the art, and you can start working on projects together that way. So if you've got a musician, you know, chances are they understand some audio, and if you need an audio to help, audio person to help you in making your videos, they can probably translate that skill. And same thing with theater. It's like, hey, if you are looking for actors and you're not hanging out at the local theater, that community theater that's putting on a bunch of plays that you don't really care about, you know what, those actors that are doing those plays, even if you don't care about the plays that they're doing, will be more than happy to read your scripts and talk about maybe acting on your screen.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think that that goes for any um, kind of any part of the industry, like, um, it's something I I learned from, I can't remember, one of my teachers said, like, find the places that the people you want to work with go hang out at, you know, and Mm -hmm. just go there and hang out, whether it's like, hey, you know, the, the guys from Sony go to the bar across the street in Culver City every day after work, just go to that bar and just strike up conversations try to make build friendships organically that way.
1: And for all those, if you do have access to schools, since you were talking about education, uh, if you do have a film school, university, anything with a film department or acting department, go and talk to people there. Uh, there's always someone who needs someone for a project and it's always a way to network because those are people who are going to be future actors, actors, musicians, and filmmakers. So talk to them as well. Uh, <laughs> if you're younger and around there, they always need help and need something uh for their student films
0: what do you think about um you know people that come in sort of gung-ho saying i want to be the next dot 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 i mean i i like i think that that's really kind of the fastest way to to being discouraged and finding yourself completely disheartened but what do, what do you guys think about that Go ahead, Mike. I know you're dying Um, to say something.
3: I I, I mean, anyone that thinks they're the next dot, dot, dot has held themselves to, A, a standard that they're not going to be able to live to, B, put themselves in a box that they'll never get out of because there's already that person that you're trying to be the next. So why are you trying to be the next dot, dot, dot person? I mean, that's, you know, that's the easiest way to a contrived reductive art form
1: and to follow up on that it's post-production where you really find your style or how do you help people find the style in post-production which i'm guessing right because you know you got your pre you got your production but in post-production i feel it's like that's where you really put down that style right where you really fix everything and and signify and make it their own
2: i've also have noticed working with um some, some big personality directors that getting them into post production is is really where that that ego or that whole like I'm gonna be the next dot 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 thing kind of starts to drop um, because you realize one how difficult it is to make a good film, um, but also just like if that's the attitude you bring, uh, most people will find you difficult to work with, and that's not a that's not some that's not a character trait that you want in this industry like you you do there is sort of this you do kind of have to have this mindset of like I'm going to make it in this industry like there is a there is an element of manifesting the things that you want but doing it in a way where where you, you know you're not being overly cocky or having a huge ego you know it's it's kind of finding a balance of yeah this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it but also, like, I'm going to be a good person to work with because that's how you succeed. And, My, and Mike's point about why is really important. Like, why do you want to like, why do you want to be the next Spielberg or why do you want to be the next uh, Chris Evans, whatever, whatever it is that you want to be? Why do you want to be them? Like, who? I don't want another Steven Spielberg. I want I want, as a as an audience member, I want to see someone different, someone unique. I want you to be the best you. I don't want you to just be another
1: carbon copy of Steven Spielberg. And no one be Zack Snyder, pretty please. All right. Yeah, not even Zack Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast has a contentious relationship with Zack Snyder.
0: <laughs> so you're making it sound like we have, and and I know we don't, and we don't. So we don't talk about that. Those are the things we don't talk about, Jonathan. <laughs> so
3: so to, 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 some, you know, to kind of build upon that thought, you know, one of my favorite people to work in he was a musician his favorite quote was I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again and I think that attitude when you're walking into a post room and willing to just play ball and go okay what am I going to be learning this time around if you're looking to learn while you're working that's going to lead to improved work and better work and you're constantly going to be outdoing yourself if you have the attitude that I know what I'm doing, I know how to do this, anytime a problem comes up, yeah. you're going to ignore the problem because obviously you already know everything. So, you know, just be wary of that and be willing to learn as you go and be willing to learn 30 years into, into your craft. If you stop learning, you need to leave the art. You know, it's as simple as that. Um, but as far as stylized, you know again, I film is such a team play that, you know, as a sound person, I try to figure out how to deliver what the director had in mind without stepping on anyone else's part, right? It's not um, it, it's, it's not trying it's not trying to like go here's my voice here's my style it's going nah, nah, nah. what can i clarify what where can I put things that maybe we weren't thinking about when it was shot but add just nice touches and really give the emotion away and make sure that everything at the end of it is very clear whether someone's watching it on the big screen or whether someone's watching it on their phone
2: I think that's, uh, that's really true. I like what you said about never stop learning. I think this is also an industry where you have to be uh, very adaptable, like nothing, almost nothing ever goes as planned, especially on set. And, you know, it's, you kind of have to learn that You've got to be able to make changes on the fly, you know. And I, I, I've there have been situations where I've been frustrated that something didn't go to plan, but you kind of have to learn to be okay with the fact that that's going to happen, and that happens in post all the time, you know. Especially when I'm when I've worked as a DP and then I'm turning around and editing my own projects, and I realize, oh, I shot I shot this with a specific vision in mind, but that vision is not going to work, and now I'm here to solve this problem. I mean, that's really all filmmaking is—is is problem solving.
1: Oh, I like I like both of those quotes. So yeah. as we get to the near end here, I know Rick probably has some other questions, but I don't care. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm still going to
0: ask him. It, it don't matter. I'm still going to ask him. We could go for three more hours. I don't care. <laughs> Actually, no. I do. I do want to. I do want to sort of piggyback on that because I think a lot of people don't understand. You have to be flexible from the pre to the post to you know to the middle. I mean, it, it, it's necessary. You and I were on set literally two weeks ago. And I was telling you about a wall color that I didn't like because the pictures did not freaking reflect that. <laughs> and, and you said, Don't worry, we can make this work. So I stepped back and I let you do your thing because it's like, Okay, well I'm not the D P, so you know And
2: yeah. I, I that's a great example, yeah. You 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 location Scout, you know, and we didn't unfortunately get to Location Scout in person for this studio, but you look at the pictures and you think, Hey, this place this place is great. All right, so now you have a plan for pre production. Then you show up in production, and you're like, "Oh crap! Well, now we have to alter the plan that we had in order to not show this." And then now we, you know, when we get into post. There's gonna be that that wall is probably gonna appear from time to time on that sliding shot. So it's gonna be a matter of like now problem solving: how do we keep that from happening? Do we put another shot over it? Like how do you cover it? it's always covering things. It's, it's always problem solving. But, but John. <laughs>
0: Uh, Jonathan, you were there when that happened, and you were also there pretty much the entire shoot. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, things little small things come up. You know, yeah, I like these... how you said pretty much as if
1: I was not there the whole time. Yeah.
0: You're well, giving well, was... an
1: impression that I left for some He wasn't time.
0: on set. He was running errands <laughs> for the production. <laughs> well, now there was a point in time there where I didn't hear him. And and it it became very difficult to to (laughs) handle because he was he was being a little bit of a diva, saying you know I need to have my coffee, and my coffee needs to be specific kind of latte. I didn't
1: even drink coffee that trip. I know Um, you didn't drink coffee, man. I only
0: drink tea, so that's how you know Rick is
1: automatically a liar. Everyone out there, I wasn't (laughs) talking about coffee.
0: Wait, was somebody complaining about coffee? I don't remember, Rick. It's kind of a- I don't actually drink that
2: much coffee anyway, but on set I do because I just don't, I don't sleep much during weeks of production. Like I I never can rest the night before shoot because I'm thinking of all the things that might go wrong (laughs) and coming up with a plan for how to fix them so that when I show up on set and it inevitably happens. Uh, I have a, a I have a plan, so I don't I don't sleep during production. I
0: don't think any of us do, because I know Jonathan wasn't sleeping at all one one single night, and I would always wonder, like, how can he wake up and I not hear his alarm? Because you know, it's, <laughs> we're that far from each other in yeah. terms of like you know where his uh, spot was located. And I was like, how can I not hear his alarm? He's like, dude, I haven't slept. I'm like, what? I almost never need my alarm. Like I have it set because,
2: you know, there's always the off chance that I will sleep through it. But generally what happens is I wake up way before my alarm. And then if I don't have it set, I might fall back asleep and then miss
0: it.
3: But what's really happening here is everyone's showing their age because they're not waking up by their alarm because it's their bladder that's waking them up. (laughs) Also true. Don't shoot. Wait a second. Wait a second. You got to stop drinking
2: two hours before you go to bed and pee right before you
0: go to bed yeah I, I stopped drinking two hours before bed. don't that, that's you, some more advice <laughs> hey mike don't you get up at three o'clock in the morning i mean you get up earlier than all of us you get up at three o'clock in the morning and by well, that's nine good. that's because he has to chop his own
1: firewood and, 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 <laughs> and you know butcher his own bacon and everything else uh,
3: i i i I, <laughs> I am notoriously up very early when everyone else is still asleep but i'm um, Asleep way before anyone else, so <laughs> <laughs> it all balances out. All I'm just saying is, people don't need their alarms when they get to a certain age because they don't understand their bladders can wake them up.
2: You're not wrong, uh,
3: yeah, but all this is I mean. to say, for for those of us in post production, the message to every filmmaker out there should be: always get more B-roll. Because mm-hmm. there's never enough. <laughs> never doesn't enough. matter how many you've gotten. Just keep going.
0: <laughs> I was actually
2: going gonna... mean, to. We've made an entire documentary basically without B-roll.
0: I, well, I'm feeling like Mike is sort of aiming that in a very Personal direction. <laughs> oh
2: no, I I understand because when I was editing that documentary, I was like, Fuck, we need more B roll, we need more B roll.
0: <laughs> you know, the this, the funny part of it is we did the re edit, and it's me, Jonathan, Mike, Brendan, and Rafi going to freaking, you know, middle of nowhere, mold mm-hmm. we everywhere. We actually
3: went out everywhere. and got more B roll.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not gonna make that mistake this
2: time. <laughs> no, no, I not hope not. Well, and and I think back to problem solving and creativity. Uh, I watch a lot of documentaries, and I think uh, you know, as a documentary uh, focused team, uh, something that I've learned is th- there's a million ways to cover shots, and there's a million ways to create B roll. Whether it's through motion graphics now, like motion graphics are becoming very heavy. Um, I've I've been watching this one on HBO called The Vow, and they do a lot of it's. Audio. There's audio recordings from this guy's time up in New York, and so they don't have footage. And so what they do is they just do really creative, cool backgrounds and animated text, so that you can hear what they're saying. And there's there's a million ways to
1: cover things, so that you don't just have talking heads the whole time. So why do you never let me cover things with me shirtless dancing? I always think it would be great B-roll, but. Wait
0: a second, I agreed with that. that If related to the content
1: that we were talking about, (laughs) I would let you do it. But I just. (laughs) I think it's always related. When is the shirtless man dancing not related to a documentary? I feel like every documentary. You all know I I love not wearing a shirt. Mike, Mike, you're thinking there, there's a documentary, but every Well,
3: documentary- well no, no, there, oh,
1: there was... Spiritless Man is appropriate.
3: So there was there's some documentary I watched with Rick a few months ago where there were some non-sequiturs in there that were just ridiculous. like Which one are I, we talking about? I, I'm, it was some pin-up documentary that we were watching.
0: Oh, you're talking about the Jane Mansfield one.
3: Yeah, that was it where like yeah. Just this weird like it was almost stylized where hey, let's have some mod dancers. Yeah. Okay. They, they cool went that.
0: they went they went real far with that and then they put in the animation and all well, this the, different stuff. I mean, it it some of the stuff worked and then some of the stuff kind of left you wondering like what?
3: what well, did, the what weird did? thing was like they would do like okay, mod dancers on transition. Great. Happened once the entire documentary. They never came back. There was never any reason to put in. It's, it's stuff like that where you're going, what? Wait, no. I mean, bring back the girls. Yeah. Or, or wait, wait. They did come back, but they weren't mod dancers anymore. They, they were, were like depressed. With,
0: no, they were depressed. Ooh. This would happen. They were like singing down and like super depressed.
3: Well, weren't they playing some? they Were you playing with cars or cards or? Something. Yeah, no,
0: actually, no. They were using miniature cars to, to to, like I know that what you're talking about. They used like the miniature cars to like, show a crash, in like in uh somewhere I think it's like yeah. from the Hollywood Hills or something like that. That there was a car crash and and uh, yeah, yeah. And it was
3: the mod dancers that were playing with the cars.
0: Yeah,
3: it was just this bizarre. I want to talk to the person who thought that that all added up and made sense. The moral of the story
1: is don't do that. Or I should dance shirtless as long as I play with cars on the next transition. That's what I'm
3: Well, I was going to say, if if we're going to have Jonathan dancing shirtless on the transitions, it just (laughs) needs to happen more than once to establish the fact that we meant to do it. He see? didn't crawl. <laughs> he...
0: <laughs>
1: Mike's in. See Mike's in. I can talk to Rick I'm, John. I'm,
0: I'm voting it. I'm voting it up. I think it's a great idea, man. Uh, like right. I personally think that that's great, and we should do that.
1: Our next documentary. Everybody look for me shirtless dancing. That's gonna be a transition
0: shot. It's gonna happen more than once, according to Mike. Uh... And
3: then, <laughs> I don't think they are gonna see... have to look for and it. Then if so John, John, and out. then
0: if, if John is, is shirtless dancing. No, our ISO is not too high. The light's not blown out. That's just John. Oh, dang. Just come,
1: just come out there.
0: Uh, <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> one thing, just
1: so before we let it go, what's one thing you want to just let people know who are about to get in post production? You've given a lot of great advice. And of course, everything you said is great. But if they're, they're sitting there now, like, I want to get into post production, what's something you want to tell them before they get in? Bes- and you it could reiterate, Everything I said or just networking or anything else that you put out there. Because I know you've given a lot of great advice and all of it's there, but I want to give you the chance.
2: I think the biggest thing I would tell people is to have patience. Like to me that's the one trait that has gotten me through post production, because it's very tough. You're gonna hit a lot of brick walls with projects and um, it sometime I, I don't think any project I've ever worked on has been beyond fixing but it has taken a lot of time to get it there and sometimes you know be willing to walk away from it for a couple of days and come back later like don't don't stress yourself too much to like try to fix something right then and there um, just have patience with it
3: yeah i would say attention to detail and be okay with being wrong right all
0: right i it? actually
1: oh, have is very much okay with being wrong so
0: i have one thing <laughs> That I want—it's a little go around the room type situation. I would like to know, and and Jonathan, this also, uh, you know, includes you. And I'll give you guys mine, but I'll save that for last. What's your favorite <laughs> film from a post perspective? I don't want to talk about the story. Yeah, I, I know. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me, tell me, John. You first, Jonathan. Right,
1: I'm going to say, Army of the Dead. I know I said Zack Snyder's not in here, but the way they integrated Tig Notaro's character, uh, which seems seamlessly, uh, was a great job because all that was on a post. I thought that was actually pretty fun and really neat the way they kind of just changed all that uh, uh, to add her in, uh, even though she's not talking to anybody, interacting with anybody, but make the floor and stuff uh, actually go. So I think they fixed a lot uh, in Army of the Dead. I think for a recent example for everyone i think that was a great a great job All right, what about you john
0: can i have two no you may only have one but you can see it's still you, you can say
2: you can say I, honorable mention i have two for very different reasons um the first one is birdman and partially nice. because the cinematography of it but that's in, you know it, it's shot in a way to make it look like it's one continuous shot but it's not obviously uh, and that doesn't work without good post-production And not even just good post-production, good pre-production. It was pre-planning, executed well in production, and finally executed perfectly in post-production. The second would be my favorite film of all time, which is Star Wars. And there's a great documentary called How Star Wars Was Saved in the Edit. And that's actually one that that inspired me to continue doing post-production because it's the perfect example of how the film was terrible. And then through hiring a new editor, to come in and fix the film, made one of the most famous films of all time.
1: A much better picks than me. I, I just, you know, I, I like my take <laughs> You go, you
0: go on, Mike, because what I'm going uh, to bring back on you is going to be hell, but go ahead.
3: Uh, okay, so I'm going to rip off John's thing. I'm going to two here because it's two totally different periods of film. Right. The first one is going to be Jurassic Park. And it's because, you know, it's really easy to go like uh, CGI just dates itself. But I go back to that film. I see one CGI shot that I don't like or one that I can actually see the seams on. And that's the um, that's the bronchiosaurus. That's the first shot we see with the dinosaurs. We can see that it's a green screen back there. But I, I'd i say 90 percent of that film for as much as CGI was put into it is still pretty transparent. It mm-hmm. feels really natural. Um, and there's a lot of films that have been made since then that really the digital effects do not stand up to the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the cinematography of Spielberg always, you know, sits on its own. Sits on its own. I mean, John's getting no better than, I would, who the cinematographer was for it, but they did shoot it in a uh, different ratio to make sure the scale of the dinosaurs were larger. Um, and, you know, the sound is amazing. We still use those dinosaur sounds today. So, you know, from this perspective, great, great piece of cinematography, a great piece of uh, cinema history there. The other one is my favorite film, which takes us to a totally different period, which is uh, 10 Days that Shook the World, which was an Eisenstein film shot in, I think 19, it was 1910s at some point, I can't remember the date of it, but it was about the Russian Revolution, um, where you really start to see montage being played with for one of the first times oh, that's amazing um
0: mine i, I probably picked
1: something like touch of
0: evil from that
1: uh cinematography shot since i didn't get two so i'm gonna put two yeah, on let's Three, let's right? go with jonathan again. uh I, i'm gonna do two uh talk about orson Welles, but touch of evil orson wells uh he's kind of not kind of, it was the first time to do that one long take and long shot, really, uh, that Orson Welles kind of did there. Uh, I think that, his cinematography, at least the one in there, his, his eye and his way he was shooting, uh, was so great on Touch of Evil, uh, even before the Butcher edits, that I think uh, uh, that one would be all my second favorite. So take a little bit from John, a little bit from Mike, and put another one in there, uh, since <laughs> everybody doesn't like my *Tignataro*. Uh <laughs> no, it, was, it was great, even though I
0: hate Zack Snyder, but it was great.
1: Oh, I didn't say I like the movie army of the dead. I just said, I think it's great how they put her in when they took away a pedophile and said, we're just got to switch away this whole movie and just put a random person in after the movie was done. So no, no more filming, no more anything. And they just fixed it in post. So.
0: Okay. So my, my, my two favorites, the first one I'm going to dedicate to Mike. Um, it was beautifully and masterfully edited in the, and the DP did a hell of a job with it. Uh, considering the fact that it was in black and white, I'm going to say The Lighthouse. Great example of how story does not have to matter or make any goddamn sense whatsoever for the film to be beautifully edited and beautifully shot. Again, this means if you go to a film and you come out way more confused about everything that you just saw than before you came in when you were just sitting there with your popcorn and your soda and you thought... Gee, Galley, this is going to be great. And then you realize that seagull murder and um, everything else that goes on in that film is an absolute fucking ball of confusion. Um, yeah, it's still a great show. <laughs>
3: great- You're you like William
1: Dafoe being naked and possibly fucking a light in the lighthouse.
0: So you did get that. You <laughs> fucking got that. You got that. You, you got that right you you got that you got that too you saw the movie you know what i'm talking about he was having an affair with the light thank you i am not freaking crazy
3: now, so, so just so everyone knows the reason why rick is dedicating this to me is because <laughs> we were looking at what movies to see and i made the suggestion we we should go see the lighthouse and we went as a group and <laughs> It ended up being not only just the movie that made the experience, but the crowd that was in the movie was probably I think there was there was less than 10 of us. Probably. And <laughs> we had one member of the crowd that needed to change seats in a very OCD fashion. Every five uh, every five to 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, it so. started as like 10 minutes and then it went down to five as, as, as the climax of the movie mm-hmm. neared. I
3: think that he understood that the seagulls were coming. The, the seagulls were coming. That yeah. movie was
1: building up this anxiety, anxiety. to the and
3: then there were just bizarre behaviors from at least four of the ten people in that room. Yeah. So, not only was the movie an experience unto itself, the crowd was, and I—I I think that's been what two to three years ago now, About and I still, so, yeah. I, I have not heard the end of that of me selecting that movie as one to see. Because I'm sorry, man, but it just there's so much
0: confusion with that film. But it was beautifully edited because again, the story made no damn sense, but everything was just perfect about and that's that's happens. And then my second pick and this one goes to Jonathan and really all of you. Uh and we will talk about this in far greater detail later on. It was beautifully edited, beautifully shot oh yeah oh you sit down you sit down it's called my octopus teacher you understand no it's in the kelp forest it is in the ocean it is beautifully done that octopus you see so much of it so much of the octopus see all of it You see all of it, literally. I haven't even
2: seen this, and and I feel like I know it so intimately from the way you guys have rehashed this film to me. I really
0: think you need to watch it. Again, beautifully edited. The story makes no sense. It is literally uh, about a man's obsession with an octopus teaching him um, about life and love. That second part there is a little bit disturbing. So listeners,
1: uh, Rick hasn't heard of Hentai, but either way, my octopus teacher... It's a documentary on Netflix. And since Rick apparently brought us all here just so he can crap on Mike for the Lighthouse and to talk about My Octopus Teacher, we will go over My Octopus Teacher and another podcast just to keep Rick happy uh, over there. You uh, will Mike, love I it. Very much feel with you. If you listen to all of our <laughs> podcasts, he blames me for every movie we watch. So, <laughs> never, so, so
0: I only blamed you for that one that took two days no, for three. me to watch. You blamed me for three. What? Okay. What are the other two? Because you I told me you call... I can't name them. Uh, you can name them. You can name them. Mortal Kombat. Guys, have you seen? Okay, Mortal Kombat? I hate you for that. Yes, I loved Mortal Kombat. Okay, screw, screw you. Uh huh. The newest one? Yeah,
1: I, I'm not going to talk to John anymore. Um, <laughs> it's a terrible film. What's the What's the You can love movie. a terrible film.
0: No, we would say, I love terrible films. I love terrible films. That movie was terrible. That You're gonna was, tell me that the terrible. sweater yeah. that the sweater didn't piss you off because it kind of pissed. The
2: sweater you off. made no sense. But the you know, know what was great,
3: great.
0: Plot
2: plot was, the, the fatalities and the violence in it were just all I wanted. That's all I cared about. Well, I the will fatalities say, fatalities suck with Goro They suck at the okay. at the I end. They say, suck. The, the very beginning of the film. Like that first 10 minute sequence when that's they're in, great. like, that's no, that great, amazing Japan. Like, amazing. you set the bar so high, and then the rest of the film
1: was just like, they there you blew go. their budget on the first 10 minutes and went, Well, we don't know what to do after that. And then they just, yeah. Okay. And, and,
2: what, and what's so, the third
1: one, Jonathan? Terrible story,
2: but it was the violence was great. I enjoyed it. Just lots of fatalities, lots of death, <laughs> and in, in a much gorier way than the
1: originals. <laughs> terrible movie. Uh, uh 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 Justice League, the Zack Snyder pet. That's number one, which I don't know. That's a terrible film. 100%. Yeah. That's all that's... around terrible. Uh so that's the you blame me for. You blame it for Mortal Kombat. And what's the other one that
0: we watch? We've watched so many bad movies. <laughs> I told you it was just those two because I think Mario Brothers is the greatest video game movie ever made.
2: Another shitty
1: film. Love it. Yeah. No, I didn't like WandaVision. You didn't blame me for WandaVision. I was the one down in WandaVision. We've watched so many crappy movies. I can't remember the third one. There is another one. I just can't remember it because it was also crappy. Um, (laughs) The Octopus Teacher or whatever it's called. No, we're going to go over that in the next one because Rick cannot stop talking about it. So uh, our next podcast, actually next week, listeners, we're going to finish our wrap-up on our thoughts on Loki. The week after that, we will do My Octopus Teacher just to get Rick off our back. But like we always do, we like to end our shows with giving recommendations of things to watch. Tentacles. Of course, I'm going to say My Octopus Teacher because we're going to do that eventually on a podcast. But Mike or John, any documentaries or anything else that you're watching and you think is good and you want people to watch it out there?
2: Um, I'm watching a documentary series on Netflix right now called The Vow. It has nothing to do with uh, marriage or relationships whatsoever. It's about a cult in upstate New York. Uh, that somehow a bunch of people in Hollywood got rubbed into, and it uh, it's very entertaining. Is it about and, the Nexium cult?
0: Yes, Nexium. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's about it's the it's the one about Nexium, and it's uh, it's very interesting.
1: Yeah. Now don't mix this up with the HBO documentary about the Nexium cult. This is the Netflix documentary. Oh, sorry. Did I say
2: Netflix? I meant HBO. Okay. I, mean, HBO, I was like, there's two
1: because right I know there's the
2: HBO one and there's another one. Is there another one? It's it's the one on HBO Max that I'm watching right now
3: so i'm trying to remember the name of it it's on hulu um it might be it's something like searching searching for bigfoot or it's something to do with Bigfoot. searching
2: for beanie
3: <laughs> <laughs> i've seen that one a few times um can find that nice plug uh, yeah. it might I like be finding now <laughs> it has utterly nothing to do with sasquatch um,
2: really that's disappointing because i keep seeing ads for it and they make it 100 percent sound like it's
1: searching for big like
3: <laughs> yeah it, i should i should go look this up real quick let me see if i can get the name of it
1: so is it like sasquatch propaganda that say they don't exist so no one looks for them
3: no, it's got to do with the Emerald Triangle in California, if anyone knows anything about that. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: of course. Oh, I, I don't know. What What is it, Ray? So, it's all about the weed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's where they grow weed. Oh, up in the northern, like yeah. the northern tips of California? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now I know exactly what you're talking about.
3: So I, it looks like it's just called Sasquatch.
1: Oh, we can check it out. Sasquatch on Hulu, and it's
3: about yeah, or, or a search for Sasquatch. That that's the series.
1: It's about drugs.
3: It's not necessarily about drugs. I don't want to give too too much of it away, but it's got nothing to do with uh, actual like Sasquatch or Bigfoot searching, um, as the name would imply. It's just one of those movies that kind of just unwinds, and you're just kind of going, huh. That's different. That and another one on Hulu is The Amazing Jonathan Documentary. Uh, I know
1: I'm amazing. I didn't know I already had a documentary.
3: Oh, Uh, Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) I will say my favorite documentary series
2: is uh, High Score on Netflix. It's about the video game industry. Oh, yeah.
0: That's a damn good one.
1: It is so good.
0: Yeah, it's a really good one
1: those uh, are some great recommendations so before we leave let's uh get some last plugs. john green where can they find you if they want to reach out to you
2: uh you can find me on all social media platforms at john m green no h j o n m green twitter instagram johnmgreen.net you go wherever you want i'm everywhere
1: Shear, which woods can we find you in oh West.
3: just use my personal email mike sheer audio <laughs> Sheers, and Shear spelled with uh here with an S in front of it, Uh, H S H E A R. I am not much of a social media person, so if you seek me out there, you might just hear some crickets.
1: (laughs) You could, of course, always find uh, ourselves in Triskelion Productions for Cinemagic. Ali's always looking out there, so if you're like, hey, I want to talk to Mike or John and tell them how great they are, give a comment there. Ali will give it to them as well and tell you, thumbs up. And again, tell her how much we love her in her chocolate commercial. Um, to try to get her to send that Chugga
0: out. chug a
1: a i am trying to push that in more. Uh, so, as well, you can always find us here every week at Cinemagic magic podcast. Myself, did I say Podjast? Uh, you I said think you said
0: Pop-Jast.
1: Podjabs? Podjabs? Podjabs?
0: Podjabs. <laughs> magic If you're, you're going to say Pop-Cart, okay. just say Calzone, because, you know, that's...
1: Cinemagic Cine calzone.
0: calzone, thank you.
1: Yeah, You're Cinemagic cow Zone. Uh you can find us us every year, every week on Cinemagic cow Zone. Next week we'll give you a wrap-up on Loki, so go ahead and watch it. Thank you for Mike and John for being here, and my co-host Rick. Rick and all the can love
0: our stuff. All the love. Yeah, well you can find us on Tubi. You can find us on Canela.tv. You can find us on Canal in, in uh TV on in Spain. Uh TV in France um we are coming up on doya very soon so we're pretty much everywhere in um like 89 different markets so you know there's not a place you'll go where you won't find us if you look hard enough except for mike he'll be hiding behind the bush uh intimidating a deer that's what he does so <laughs> or uh,
2: you, can, you can also find me on my podcast uh the full picture podcast another film
1: related podcast but
2: much different than yours
1: Yes. Yeah, which you'll never invite us on for some reason, even though I will can't. invite
2: you on. I just haven't recorded an episode for two months.
0: So. <laughs> what the hell, man? And See, Jonathan and I. part of we... it is
2: strategy. Part of it is strategy. So I've got. You a want guy... everybody
0: to forget about the no, no, podcast, no, the thing. and then
2: here's the thing: I've got a guy that I'm going to interview who has like half a million followers. Oh, and once I get him on, and my show picks up, then I want to get then I want to go back and have other because I want people to listen to it. I just don't want to be like, yeah, hey, I had you on my show and only like 30 people listen to it. Like I want it to be like a couple thousand listens. So I'm doing it for for all of us. I'm waiting until I have a bigger audience. So that you <laughs> so that you also will have a bigger audience. I appreciate it <laughs> Listen that. baby,
1: I'm not going to date you and put you in public right now, right? I just <laughs> let me get let me get my cloud up. Once I get yeah. my cloud up, baby, then I'll then I'll put you out on the dates. Don't exactly. worry about
0: it. <laughs> listen <to> it. <laughs> I can see this is a whole new documentary waiting to happen. Stay tuned. (laughs) So thank you again for Cinematic Podcast. We'll see you next week. That's right.